Can we give our kids one more round of applause just for the good job that they did? I'm going to let you be seated for a moment. There's something, something special, obviously, about this time of year. There's something special just watching kids get up here and be kids and perform and represent just the birth of Jesus, the most, one of the most important times in human history. I mean, it literally changed everything. And every year when I come to this season and I think more and more meditate on the Christmas story and I read through these scriptures and I just think about Mary and I think about the angels, I think about the shepherds, I think about thousands of years of prophecy and I think about God becoming a human being and I can't hardly wrap my mind around it. I mean, it's the most glorious mystery and, and just beautiful thing that I can ever imagine that God loved me so much that he took on flesh to enter into my pain, to enter into my world, into my life to redeem me and to bring me back to him. And that's, that's what we're celebrating. And I think about how, you know, during this time, God's using all these different signs of how he's converging everything to this one point in human history. Literally, we divide time based on the birth of this baby. And, and everything's pointing to something. And there's, there's signs that, that the shepherd has. They see these angels. There's, there's signs throughout the history of Israel, of, of prophecies that are being fulfilled in all of these things. And I think about even the, the things in my life. If you're a Christian here tonight, you think about things, moments, certain things that led you to Jesus, don't you? I mean, I, I remember certain signs that the Lord gave me. I remember whenever I first really started contemplating coming to Jesus, I, I, it was after a wreck that I had, and I had a dream, and I felt like the Lord was, was really speaking to me and speaking to my heart, and so many different things in my life that started to draw me in and draw me closer to the Lord. And for most of us, you know, we just went to church, maybe we just heard the gospel preached, and that was, that was what we needed to, to, to realize that Jesus was the answer for the condition of our souls. And I think about Christmas because oftentimes, you know, we were in the jail preaching some today, and those guys were talking about how they, they, would, they would begin to seek the Lord, but then bad things would happen to their family. And they're just like, well, Lord, here I am trying to get closer to you, and bad things are happening. And I, I shared with them, I said, you know, it's not really, that's not really necessarily the way that it works. I said, you're talking about the very woman that was going to give birth to the Son of God was a teenager who became pregnant outside of wedlock and was in danger of being stoned to death. Not to mention the fact that she was going to have to ride a donkey 90 miles just to get back to get taxed. And then get this, when she gets there, you're talking about a God who knows all things, had, all, had thousands of years to plan this out and doesn't even book a hotel room. I mean, consider that. If I'm doing the Lord's will and I'm married and I'm riding a donkey 90 miles ultra pregnant, I would say, Lord, the least you can do is book a hotel room. She gets there, there's no room in the inn. And I'm thinking, you know, it would have been better even in the scripture if they went into the inn and the guy said, you know what, it's booked here. There was a glowing angel that came in and put down a reservation. You guys have got the suite. Head on up. Like that would have even been better. But the fact of the matter is, is that Christmas is chaotic, it's messy, our lives are messy, our world is messy, it's dark, and oftentimes, even when we see the greatest signs that God are given, is given us, we don't, hardly, we don't hardly see them very clearly because of the darkness of, of our world. But see, there's some Christmas signs, signs of Christmas, and one of the first signs that I think that God really reveals is prophecies that are fulfilled. 
And it's amazing because if you read the Old Testament, there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of the fact that a Messiah is going to come, a Savior is going to come. And they say that there's specifically about 108 prophecies just concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was a mathematician in 1958, a guy named Peter Stoner, and he said that just for eight, listen to this, just for eight of these prophecies to come to pass, the chances of it would be one in 100 quadrillion. And when I read this, one of the things that they said would, just eight of them coming to pass, would be like filling the state of Texas up with silver dollars two feet high and sending a blindfolded man in to pick up out the right coin. That's just for eight of these prophecies to come to pass. So God is laying out, when, when God makes prophecies and they're fulfilled over and over and over again, it's basically him saying, yeah, I know it looks dark, I know it doesn't look good, I know there's sin in the world, but you still need to understand something. I'm over this thing and I'm the one calling the shots at the end of the day. I've got this thing planned out, and even in the chaos, even in your mess, don't worry about it. I'm over this thing. I've got things in control. And it's so beautiful because even in Matthew's telling of, of the birth of Jesus, there's like four different specific cities that are on Jesus' birth certificate. If you, if you read them specifically, it says it's prophesied some 600 years before that Jesus is born. Micah prophesied specifically he's going to be born in the city of David. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. It says, not only will he be born in Bethlehem, but it says that he, out of Egypt I have called my son, which is a prophecy from Hosea. And we all know that because Herod wanted to kill all the babies under two years old in Bethlehem when he hears about the prophecy, that they were warned by an angel that they had to flee into Egypt. But guess what? After Herod dies, an angel says, it's safe now. Now you can go back home. But they don't go to Bethlehem. They go back to Nazareth, and it is fulfilled, which was written in the book of Judges. He shall be called a Nazarene. I mean, it's crazy. And you get to the last one, and Jeremiah prophesies that when this time comes, when Herod kills all these newborn children, that there'd be loud weeping in Ramah. Ramah is five miles outside of Bethlehem. He's prophesying about the fact that these women lost their children, the terror of it could be heard five miles away. And all of that converges into a moment, and I'm thinking, man, if that's not enough for you, I don't know how you don't believe in Jesus. How is it that so many men over the course of history can write these things down, and all of a sudden all of them come to pass? That's a sign to us. Prophecies fulfilled that this Jesus is who he says he is. And secondly, the second sign is the virgin birth. And it even says in Scripture specifically, Isaiah 7, 14, another 600 years before Jesus' birth, Isaiah prophesies when they're in, uh, going in exile, when they're being judged. And it says, therefore, the Lord himself, what will he do? He will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now this is a sign because... This girl had no reason to be going around saying that she had a virgin birth. Nobody's going to believe you, one. Somebody try that out, see how it works out for you. Amen. Nobody. Secondly, in that culture, you're in danger of being put to death on the spot. It's a dangerous thing to be claiming stuff like that. It's a dangerous thing. She, she had no reason. It, it, it didn't work out for her socially, right? But it says in Matthew 1.18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The angel tells her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and he's going to take the eternal word of God, encapsulate it in your womb, and you're going to conceive, and that thing will be called, that holy thing that is to be born will be called the Son of God. That's going to be your child. You're going to name him Jesus. And this is interesting, and this is another reason that it's a sign. I want you to understand something, that as Christians, the virgin birth is essential to our faith. And there's a reason behind it. Like, like when we say we're Christians, we confess some things. We confess that God himself, the eternal word of God, by whom all things were created, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he was born of the Virgin Mary. We don't say that's a metaphor. We believe that it legitimately happened, and here's why. Because he had to be of divine blood. If his, if his father had been Joseph, he would have had sinner's blood. The sin nature would have been in him, and he could not have taken your sins upon him. But see, he also had to be born of a human so that he could take on our humanity to die in our place. So because God the Father was his father, he had pure blood, sinless blood, but his mother was just another woman, and that made him 100% God, fully divine, and also 100% human. That means that he is a Savior that can save you to the uttermost. Because he entered into your pain, he entered into your infancy, he entered into being a toddler, he lived the entire human life, and on that cross, he entered into the depths of every darkness that you would ever experience, and he became sin on that cross. And this was a sign. This was a sign to us. And it even says, I love what it says, Matthew 1.17. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. Now, 14 is two sets of seven. And it says, and from David to the deportation to Babylon were 14 generations. Two more sets of seven generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ was 14 generations. Two more sets of sevens. That's six sets of sevens when Jesus shows up on the scene he could have showed up at any time but God said it pleased him that he showed up at the perfect time he is the seventh seven he's the one that comes to bring us true peace true rest and ultimately eternal peace and rest and that's the day that we're longing for Jesus has shined as a great light in all the world but that day that he was born he's saying there's another great time that's going to come and one day I'm going to return a second time in the same way that I fulfilled all the prophecies of my first coming I'm going to fulfill all of the prophecies of my second coming and it's time that you get your hearts prepared and ready because this life is short and when I come back the second time I'm going to rid this world of sin and unrighteousness and I'm going to restore holiness and purity and righteousness and life and I'm going to wipe everything every tear away from every eye and you can once again finally have peace because I am the seventh seven I'm that perfection I'm that perfect rest it's another sign the third sign was the shepherd's sign and here's what it said we just read this a moment ago it said in that same region that night that he was born there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. See, the angels, I love how God just breaks into your mundane. There was no less respected occupation in Israel, really, other than a prostitute than a bunch of shepherds. It's just the way that it was. But God goes out and says, You know what? I'm going to go out to the least likely. I'm going to give them a sign. 
I'm going to draw them into the beauty of what I'm doing because I like to go take the humble things and lift them up. And he goes out to them and he interrupts. He says, I want to bring you good news of great joy. I'm bringing you the gospel, that this is your salvation. And he says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And notice what he says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now my thought is, like there's mangers all over the place. How, how are we going to know which manger it is? But see, he says something very specific. This is going to be a sign to you. Now, these, these shepherds, they were still Israelites. They grew up just like we teach our children Scripture. They knew the Scripture. So when they say, of course, he's going to be born in the city of David. The city of David is Bethlehem. That's where David is from. So this is the fulfillment of what we've read about in Micah. They would have known that in Micah it says, chapter 5, verse 2, You, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are... Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. They say, oh yeah, we know he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and that's a prophecy we go to a lot. But I'm going to take a little stretch, stretch here. This is like, I don't know if y'all get into scholarly debates in the theological world, but I'm going to take a stretch here. Because I believe that there was another prophecy that really revealed the sign that the angels were trying to give these shepherds in particular. Because if you look back in Micah chapter 4 verse 8, they gave some specifics that not only was he going to be born in Bethlehem, but a place specifically. It says, and you, O tower of the flock. And this is a very specific location, Migdali Dare in the Hebrew language. It says, the hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now there's a guy named Alfred Edersheim. He wrote this book called The Life and Times of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says about this. He says that it was well known in those times that the tower of the flock was the place that shepherds, when they had lambs that were without spot and without blemish, in order to fuel the sacrificial system, they would take those lambs that were without spot and without blemish down to the tower of the flock in Bethlehem, and they would wrap those lambs in swaddling clothes and lay them in a manger so they wouldn't get caught in a thicket or damaged so that they would maintain their purity. So when the angel says, this is going to be a sign to you boys, you'll find that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. They knew exactly where he was going to be, but it was a sign because he was going to be the new sacrificial lamb. No longer would you have the blood of lambs and the blood of bulls and goats to atone for your sins, but you would have divine blood, Jesus Christ the righteous, who would shed his blood as the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And when they went in and they saw that baby wrapped in a manger, they said it's an end to the sacrificial system, this boy that's been born here today. And I imagine maybe, maybe, maybe they lasted another 33 years, some of them. And they were old and they got to see that sacrificial lamb on the cross dying for their sins. It was a sign to them. It was a sign to them when they saw it. Lastly, I'm going to give you this last sign. The fourth sign is the star. And it says that after Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, you guys know the story about this because they come to Herod, and Herod doesn't like to hear this. Herod ends up saying, what do you mean a king? 
where's this king going to be born? And they said, well, of course, you know where the king is going to be born. Don't you know scripture? They knew, they, they coming all the way from Iraq. They're coming from Babylon. And they know the scripture. And they quote Jeremiah about the fact, they quote Micah about the fact that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And they know. And so Herod's like, all right, you boys find him. Let me Give me word. I'll come back and worship him. Also, he don't want to worship him. He wants him dead. He's a threat. And you know, here's something. You know, a lot of people are a lot like Herod. Jesus is a threat to your kingdom. Jesus is a threat to your kingdom, and you'd like to sit on the throne of your life, and you want to put to death anything that would challenge the ownership of your life. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the one that needs to sit on the throne of our hearts. And see, these magi were so aware of that that they were willing to travel maybe even up to 900 miles on a camel in order to get to this place. And who were the magi? The, the wise men literally in the Greek language is magi. It's magicians. They come from a place, if you remember, actually they came from the place where Daniel was. If you read in the book of Daniel, they had magicians, they had astrologers in Babylon. And, and here's what's so interesting. It says that Daniel was wiser than all of the magicians and all of the astrologers in his time. And he, he rose up to second in power and was there for probably about 80 years. And he was teaching Bible prophecy. He was teaching scripture. He was interpreting dreams. And centers for Jewish learning because of Daniel were actually actually raised up in that place. So these men likely for 600 years came down from a long line of people who knew about Bible prophecy. And I think that's amazing because they get all of this information and they're being drawn into this place. And not only that, but see, there was a guy named Balaam in the Old Testament and he prophesied about this star specifically. And guess where he was from? He was from the east. He wasn't a Jewish man. And here's what he said. In Numbers 24, verse 17, he said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. He says, I see this star rising up out of Jacob. I see that a Messiah is going to come out of Israel. Because he was sent to bring a curse, but he said, I cannot curse what God has blessed. And he said, out of this... Out of these people is going to come the Messiah that's going to save the world. Now, some people will say, well, what was the star anyway? And, and if you look through it, throughout history, people got different arguments. They got different ideas. But one, one, one scholar says that in June, on June 17th, 2 B.C., which some people will argue was maybe about the time that Jesus was born, Apparently, Jupiter and Venus merged together. Jupiter, in that time, if they were, they were readers of the stars. They were astrologers. And Jupiter represented the birth of a king when they saw it. Venus represented fertility. And those two merged together and they merged with another star called the king star, which was Regulus. So it's specifically about a king being born, but not just any king, the king star. He's the king of kings and he's being born. That's what that represented to them. But then it was also born in the constellation Leo, which for them was very it was associated with the people of Israel. So for them, it was a sign in the heavens that right now, God was using. Listen, we ain't even supposed to read the stars now. But I'm going to tell you something. God will sometimes use some crazy things to draw some people in. Amen? And he used what he could to draw these people in. And it's so crazy because the men that show up after they see that star are three men who aren't even Jewish people. And whenever they come to tell people that, hey, there's one that's born the king of the Jews, the religious people who are down at the temple, they're not even interested. 
If somebody had come to me, and I've been studying this scripture for years, and somebody even hints at the fact that Jesus is down here, the Messiah is down here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pack my bags. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to check it out. But do you know that sometimes it's outsiders who are more likely to see the beauty of Jesus than it is the religious insiders? Isn't that amazing? And these outsiders, they see it, man. They're willing to travel. They're willing to go miles, and they show up to the people at the church, and the people at the church are like, big deal. We've been reading prophecies for a long time now, but we don't really believe them. Amen. Church folks. Secondly, some people said it was a supernova in 5 B.C. Some people said it wasn't a natural event. Some people say it was just an angel because in the Bible, they actually call angels stars at certain times. I like to think maybe it was a mixture of a couple. Maybe, they're, maybe those stars, they saw those, but then when they got there, they saw it again. And perhaps an angel guided them to the home says, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but Matthew chapter 2, it says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You read that in the Greek language, and it's like they hit the lottery. You know how, like, like a lot of y'all UK fans, like they just hit a game-winning shot, that kind of nuts. You know what I'm saying? Y'all come to church, you're just sort of like, eh. But you said, they hit the lottery. And it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. He's about two years old at this point. A lot of people like to think they came when, when the shepherds did, but no, Jesus is a little bit older at this point. He's about two years old. They come down, they see a toddler, and they worship a toddler. Tell you what I know about toddlers, that would feel weird. But they knew it was a sign. It says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. God draws them with a sign. God shows them something, and they bring gifts. And their response, their response to seeing Jesus and seeing their, these signs is to worship him. It's, it's to give him what he deserves. And I even like what they give him because, you know, they're from Babylon, if you remember, when Nebuchadnezzar came in, they deported to Babylon. They stole all the gold out of Israel. I like to imagine that maybe some of those guys were taught by Babylon and they kept some of that gold back for a while. And they said, you know what, when this king comes, we're going to return his gold back to him. I just like to think that. But they bring the gold and gold represents kingship because Jesus Christ is the rightful king of kings and lord of lords they give him frankincense and it represents priesthood because they would offer that incense and Jesus Christ was the priest that would stand in the gap on your behalf for your sins and they offer him myrrh because myrrh was a sacrificial embalming plant that they would use in order for, for death and he was the sacrifice that would give his life so that ultimately you could have life and here's the thing during this Christmas season you got all these signs, right? And I don't know about you, but when I read that scripture and I see the beauty of that message, man, my heart comes alive. But then I think about all of the things in our life. How many signs has God given you in your life of his glory and of his beauty where he's just drawing you? Maybe even in this moment, you just, you just sense God drawing you. Maybe you're a Christian, but you know he's drawing you near. He's drawing you into a place of worship to, to offer everything that you have just like the shepherds did, just like the wise men did, to say, I'm laying it all down here now at your feet. But you got to deal with this issue, because if you're not a Christian, 
Like e either this is real or it's not. And if it is real, it demands everything from you. If it is real, Jesus has come and he created you and he's offered a way of salvation and he is the only way to the Father. There's no other way. Either he is the Son of God, either he was divine, born of a virgin, and is God himself in flesh that has died on the cross for your sins, or he's not. And at some point, every single one of us, we're going to have to make that decision from our hearts. And the Holy Spirit draws so many of us and gives us signs. And he's saying, I want you to relinquish control. I want you to give me the worship that's due my name. And if you will do that, he will return everything to you. Because I'm telling you, of all the things that we want, more gifts and more stuff during the Christmas season, the thing that you're longing for is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm speaking to Christians. I'm speaking to Christians too. Because we can get distracted and think that somehow these other things are going to offer us what only a deep relationship with Jesus Christ can offer us. So I want us to bow our heads tonight and just meditate on this moment where Jesus came. And you know, when God sent Jesus to take on flesh and be born that night, he was thinking specifically about you and even this moment and all that he would use to lead you to salvation and you know I'm not even go I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands or anything like that at the end of the service if you would like to come up and talk or you'd wanna, want prayer for anything I'd love to do that but in this moment it's just you and God Christian or, or, or no Christian where are you at with Jesus have you given him your heart have you given him have you brought him your life? Have you laid it all at his feet? Have you chosen to worship him? Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the beauty of not just the story, but God, the reality that you chose to enter into our darkness. You chose to come and take on flesh and enter into our sin and be born in this chaotic world because you loved us so much. And we thank you, Jesus, that you lived that perfect sinless life and you became that sacrificial lamb and you died on the cross bearing all of our sins so that we could confess you as Lord we could turn from our sin and put faith in you and we would be saved and have the hope and the promise of eternal life Lord that was your that was your will from the beginning that was your plan and you laid it out in prophecy and we have too many signs to not believe that this is true. Too many signs to not believe that this, is, that this is not true. And so, Lord, we believe it. And we confess you tonight, Jesus, as Lord. We confess you as Lord. And we worship you. We give you our heart. Every gift that you've given us, God, we give it back to you in return, God, because we're not worthy. You are the worthy one. And we lift you up. Lord God, you are the wonderful counselor. You're the almighty God. You're the everlasting father. You are the prince of peace. And I pray, Lord, this night that by your spirit you would draw every single person to you and into your presence, that they would be saved, that they would be set free, and that they would know eternal life. And I ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want you all to stand to your feet. Listen, we've got a few more songs, and I just want you to take this, these three songs to do like the Magi did, to worship Him with all of your heart in whatever way you feel necessary, but let's continue to just worship the Lord, give Him the glory that He deserves.